If you have your Bibles, will you turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 18? Luke chapter 18. This morning we continue in our series on this pilgrim life. We have considered together the faithful Christian, the struggling Christian, and now this morning I want to consider with you the praying Christian. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 14. The inspired word of God says, And Jesus told them, this is verse 1 of chapter 18, He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, or prayed in this way, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And may the Lord bless to us the reading of his word. Let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we desire that we would humble ourselves in your presence so that we might hear your word and heed your word, that you would instruct us by your Holy Spirit this morning to understand this great subject of prayer, which we have examples of in the text. We pray above all that our Lord Jesus Christ might be glorified and magnified in the preaching of the word and in our hearing and in our doing. So, Father, we thank you for our time. We commit all things to you and ask these things in the holy name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now, in these verses, as you read Luke chapter 18, we have examples, don't we, of how to pray on the one hand, and how not to pray on the other hand. In fact, first of all, in the first eight verses, you will notice 
that here is a widow who is not receiving justice, and she goes to the judge, whom the Bible says is unrighteous, and from whom, by all accounts, she seems to receive nothing, get nothing, and she goes to him and seeks justice for herself. In fact, this judge is said to neither fear man, uh, fear God, nor respect man. He has no concern for either, for God or for others. So how does she receive that which she earnestly craves and desires and asks for? She pesters him, doesn't she? She goes back and back again and again and reminds him of his obligations as a judge to mete out justice on her account. You notice in verse 3, it says, she kept coming to him. She kept on coming again and again. Notice in verse 5, he even says, she keeps bothering me. And so you can just picture the scene, can you not? That here is a widow who is struggling, is not receiving justice, goes to the judge from whom you would expect justice to be given. But a judge who is unrighteous, a judge who cares neither for God nor for man, how can she expect anything from him? Well, she persists, doesn't she? She pesters him to death almost. He can't sleep. And so he says, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll render her justice so that she does not come back and bother me again and again. And so, of course, he responds. And he gives her exactly what she seeks because he says in verse 5, she will beat me down by her continual coming. And so the lesson is quite plain, isn't it? We must persist in asking. We must persist in praying. We must be like this widow who keeps coming, as it were, to God, who is a righteous judge, not like this judge. In fact, the text is quite clear in verse 7 that Jesus links this prayer to the elect of God, God's very own people, who cry to him day and night. Can they expect justice from God? And the answer to that, of course, is a rhetorical question. Of course they can expect God to truly give them His justice, righteous justice, the only justice that counts. And that little idea of crying to God day and night is what prayer is really all about in those first eight verses. It is persistent prayer. It is coming again and again and again to God. Seeking from God that which you need, that which you cannot obtain by yourself. But you will notice there's a proviso, isn't there, in verse 8, how difficult that might be. Because when the Son of Man returns or comes, is He going to find faith on the earth? Is Jesus, when He comes again, going to find you and find me? exemplifying faith in coming to God and seeking continually from God and persistently asking of God that he give us justice. Oh, God will do that which is right. God will give to his elect that which they seek. But will we be found with faith when the Son of Man comes? So the lesson is, is quite simple. In verses 1 through 8, persist in praying, in asking. But there's a different account, isn't there? A parable in verses 9 through 14. I mean, here are two men who are, who are going to do that which is right. They're going to the temple and they're going to pray. 
They're going to consider God. They're going to look upon God. They're going to think about God in His glory. And they're going to render to Him their worship. And they're going to pray to God. One is said to be a Pharisee. And the other is said to be a tax collector. Or as the, I think the authorized says, a publican. There they go. The two of them to pray. The one stands off by himself, the Pharisee. And there he is standing, a religious man. Who is righteous in his own eyes because remember Jesus is telling this parable about those who trusted in themselves and that's exactly what the Pharisees were like they trusted in themselves almost to the point of course they don't need God they have themselves they have their righteousness on the other hand there's that tax collector standing over there and he doesn't even lift up his eyes to heaven he will not even dare to raise his face to God But he hides himself almost in shame. And he's downcast. He's an unbelieving man. He is an unrighteous man. But he has the right attitude and the right approach to God. So the Pharisee gives us on the one hand an example of how never to pray. I thank you God that I'm not like that man. I'm not like other men. What standard does he have? He has his own standard. That he holds up to God and said, that's how you must view me, God. You must view me according to my standard. But the other man wants God to view him according to God's standard. And never his own standard because he's unrighteous in the sight of God. So the Pharisee is really giving us the example, isn't he, of how not to pray. Don't be like the Pharisee. Surely we wouldn't be like that. But be like the, the tax collector who does not parade his own value or his own worth or his own achievements like the Pharisee does, but he gives us an example of how to pray. He will just come to God and ask God for mercy, doesn't he? He shows us his own unworthiness. Doesn't he lift up his eyes to heaven? He just beats his own breast. It shows us his confession because he says, God be merciful to me a sinner. In fact, literally the text says, God, be my atonement. Be the thing that will make me acceptable to you. And it's not my righteousness. And it's not how I value myself. And it's not how good I am. It's none of those things. The value that the tax collector places upon himself is that he is unworthy. That he is completely unworthy. That he is sinful. But he gives us an example of of how to pray, doesn't he? He comes in humility and he comes with confession. He doesn't come with self-achievement or self-righteousness. He doesn't parade his good works and his good character. He has none of those. He asks for mercy and he comes with humility and he comes with confession. So he prays for forgiveness. And that, by the way, is a very essential part of praying. To seek the forgiveness of God. But to seek the forgiveness of God, not by parading your own self-righteousness, but by humbling yourself and telling God you're unworthy and that only God can show you mercy. It's really the result, isn't it, of what those two men did that that is the, the, the center of the story. Because the one man, Jesus says, went to his home unjustified. Not right with God. And the other man went down to his home justified, meaning he was right with God. So the Pharisee came in as he was and left as he was, 
But the tax collector came in as he was and left as he was not. Changed he was by the grace and by the mercy of God. And so the lesson for us in prayer is certainly that we depend not upon ourselves, but we must completely depend upon God. We must humble ourselves and cast ourselves upon the mercy of God because it is God who justifies only the humble and the repenting person. And that's that tax collector. Now having said all that, which is plain on the surface, what are these verses really about? Aren't they about praying? Aren't they about coming to God? Aren't they about how you come and what you say and why you should say it and why you should seek God? So I ask myself, what is prayer? In very simple language, what is prayer? If I'm going to be a praying Christian, and I ought to be a praying Christian, every Christian ought to be praying, a praying Christian. So what is it about prayer? What is it? Well, in a very simple term, or on a very basic level, it's simply talking to God, isn't it? It's simply telling God certain things. It's, it's making requests of God. It's giving thanks to God. It's many, many other elements, but on the basic level, it's just simply communicating. It's talking to God. For most of us, our prayer life focuses around our needs. What I need so that I can be improved or be better or whatever it is. It was James who said, right, you do not have because you do not ask. And if you lack wisdom, what should you do? You should go to God, he says in chapter 1, right? And ask God for wisdom because only wisdom comes from God and only God can give you wisdom. And he gives it freely, liberally. But you must believe. You must ask in faith and without doubting. So Jesus reminds us, whatever you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. I think some translations would put, if you have faith at the end. I much prefer that whatever you ask in prayer, believing, Jesus says you shall receive. In fact, that is the Greek text and the original text itself. The Lord Jesus reminds his disciples in John chapter 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And I wonder, do we really believe the, the words of Jesus? If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Or what about John 15 verse 7? If my words abide in you and you abide in me, then ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. And the outcome of that whole dependence upon the vine as the branches connected to the vine is ultimately to produce fruit. And the character of the fruit bearer is a person who is filled with joy. Not their own joy, but the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. And so in spite, or perhaps because, of the very simple declarations by Jesus and by Scripture about just believing what you ask Jesus for, why is it that we all of us still labor and find prayer, our own prayer lives, to be so hard? 
What is it about prayer that makes it so difficult for us to seemingly fail to do what Jesus asks us in our prayers? What is it? Well, like anything worthwhile, I suppose, it requires discipline. It requires sacrifice. It requires effort. It requires time. And Christians today seem to either be lacking all of those or not inclined to any of those because they're surrounded by a culture that is indolent and lazy and slothful and careless and casual. And therefore it flows into our Christian experience and our Christian lives. And this most difficult discipline of all for any Christian becomes all the more harder when you are motivated by whatever the world characterizes your motivation to be, your attitudes. So somehow, I have to change my thinking about praying if I am to be the praying Christian. You know, we've predicated this pilgrim life on John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. You can read a lot about the faithful man or the faithful Christian and the struggling Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, but you will read very, very little about the praying Christian in Pilgrim's Progress. Do you know why that is? I think the answer is because Christian was always praying, was always wanting fellowship with God, always communicating with God. So, like Anything that is going to cost you something of value, it's going to require effort. Prayer doesn't just come naturally, or if it does come naturally, it's the question of maintaining it. Can I keep it up and over and over again? So, I have learned for my own life that prayer is not an easy thing at all. And I dare say if I were to question any of you, you would say the same thing. Prayer is not an easy thing. So let me give you an outline of what I want to consider with you this morning. First of all, I want to say some words about the nature of prayer. The nature of prayer. Secondly, I want to say something about the necessity for prayer. The necessity for prayer. Thirdly, I want to talk about the nurture of prayer. How can I improve my prayer life? The nurture of prayer. And it would be remiss of me if I didn't finally talk about the neglect of prayer. So, the nature, the necessity, the nurture, and the neglect of prayer. When we talk about the nature of prayer, the questions we would ask are questions like this. Who do I pray to? And what is praying? Who do I actually pray to as a believer, as a Christian? Well, I believe, of course, we pray to God. You believe that, don't you? But we must know which God. Well, which God are we talking about? We're only talking about one God, aren't we? We're talking about the living and the true God, the only God. We pray to the, that God. And that's the only God there is. Well, I dare say there are people who pray to idols, who pray to statues, who have all kinds of ideas of, of who God is and, and what He must be like, but it's a, a God of their own making. No, the God we approach is the God of Scripture. The God of the Bible. The God that reveals Himself in Scripture. That is the God that we pray to. Why do we pray to God? Because we believe that only this God can answer what I'm asking Him for. 
And the only reason I'm praying is generally speaking because I cannot do what I'm asking. If I could do what I was asking, I would do it. No, I pray to God in making requests of God because I cannot answer those requests for myself. I cannot make it happen. We pray to God, do we not? Because He is our Father who is in heaven. Isn't that how Jesus taught His disciples to pray straight off the bat? Say, our Father who art in heaven. Pray in this way, Jesus says. So that's who we pray to. We pray to God the Father. We pray to our God in heaven. Why is He in heaven? Because He is God. He is the maker of all things, the maker of heaven and earth. We confess freely He is sovereign. That there's nothing to frustrate God. He controls everything. The blade of grass that blows out there in the field. The little bird that hops on the branch from branch to branch and discovers a worm in the ground and descends for it because of God. God provides. God is sovereign. God is in the Bible the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God and Father of our Savior. So we come to Him in His Son. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. We come to Him by the Spirit of God. So that our prayer life is actually Trinitarian. We believe in the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so we pray to God. We pray to God because we believe in salvation. We believe that only God saves us. We believe that only God is able to grant to us and impute to us His righteousness, which we have not of our own, unlike the Pharisee who thought he was righteous in himself by what he was like and by what he did. No, we pray because that good news is so precious to us. Because we believe the gospel. We believe what Jesus did for us. So when someone asks you, who do you pray to? You pray to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God that you find revealed in Scripture and nowhere else. Yes, you can see God's evidence in creation. You can see it all around you. That's the God, the creator of all things. The sovereign Lord. We pray to Him and we don't pray to anyone else. We don't have intermediaries other than our Lord Jesus Christ. But He is God. And He sits at the right hand of the Father. We don't need a a priest on earth to bring our requests to God because He can go straight to God because God tells us, come to me. Pray. Ask. And every prayer, by the way, in the Psalms of David, you will find very interestingly, is always addressed to the Lord, to Yahweh. When David prays, he mentions God. We all know what God he means. He means the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who made heaven and earth. The God who is the God of David and his salvation. So we begin with God when we pray. That's where Jesus started. Our Father who is in heaven. He prays and tells us to pray to God. I think as Christians we get that. It's a sad commentary to me when we pray and just begin our prayers without even addressing God. It's as if we just start talking. Well, who are you talking to? Who are you praying to? And it's a sad commentary to me also on our Christian praying when we end our prayer just abruptly without saying or asking for what we ask 
in my name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just stop. So much to learn about prayer, isn't there? And so, so much for us to realize how far short we all fall in our prayer lives, in our praying to God. So what is prayer? Well, the Shorter Catechism has an interesting statement about prayer. For instance, prayer is an offering up to God of our desires to God, in agreement with His will, in the name of Christ, with a confession of our sins, and with a thankful acknowledgement of His mercy to us. So you can see that the Shorter Catechism, the confessions, they all define prayer as this offering to God something as coming into the presence of God, coming with the right attitude, confessing sin, coming with the right approach, acknowledging who you're approaching, that it is our God, our Father who is in heaven, acknowledging that He has been so kind to us with thankful acknowledgement for all of His mercies. One of the things you discover about praying is that all prayer as far as God is concerned and as far as Jesus is concerned, must be according to the will of God. According to the will of God. Now one thing I know about God from the Bible is that He will always do His will. He never does otherwise. He cannot do otherwise. He must do that which He has purposed. In fact, God cannot be frustrated in any of His plans, in His purpose, in His decree. He makes it and it covers all things for all time. He has determined all things. To pray that God's will be done is to seek the ascendancy of the sovereignty of God over every area of your life. And isn't that what Jesus also told his disciples? Your will be what? Be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is always done in heaven and certainly on earth as well. But we must pray for that. We believe that when we pray, that only God to whom we pray can accomplish what we ask Him. That's why we pray to Him. But prayer, you know, is of a variety of kinds, isn't it? Prayer expresses itself in different ways. For example, there is watchful prayer. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and He is praying. And the disciples are falling fast asleep. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, watch and pray that you might not enter into temptation. Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So there is such a thing as watchful prayer. I must be watching in my prayers. There is such a thing as unceasing prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 What does Paul say to the Thessalonians? Pray without ceasing. You say, well, how do I do that if I'm fast asleep? That's not what he means. He means you're continually, when you're awake, in the attitude of constant communication with God. You can pray without ceasing. And here, in Luke chapter 18, there is this persistence, isn't there, that the story, uh, the parable drives us to this widow coming to this unrighteous judge. We can come to God, and we should come to Him again and again. We should persist in our praying, because He will give us justice because we are his people he will not delay he is our father he will come speedily to help us not only that but there is in the stories and the parables here this humility of prayer and humility in praying and confessing your sins in prayer 
There is believing prayer, isn't there? Because you might doubt that God's going to answer your prayers. I wonder how many prayers we actually have had like that. But Jesus said, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. There's intercessory prayer, isn't there? Like Abraham, interceding with God for Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. Pleading with them if there are 50 righteous, 45, 40, 30, 20. What happens if there's just 10? And God responding every time, if I find 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10, I will not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And there weren't even 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. But there's Abraham, because he's so concerned for his relative, Lot, in Sodom and Gomorrah. There is such a thing as constant prayer, isn't there? Be, be patient in tribulation, rejoice in hope, be constant in prayer. Keep at it. Don't give up. There is steadfast prayer in Colossians chapter 4 verse 2. Continue, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So prayer is about praising God, isn't it? Prayer is about worshipping God. Prayer is about acknowledging God. Prayer is about thanking God. Prayer is bringing your requests and making them known to God. Now, I don't think there's anyone here, at least I don't think so, who believes that God doesn't know what I need. That God has to be reminded, oh, I forgot, Russ, that you actually, you actually asked me that last week or ten years ago. No, none of us believe that. We truly believe that God hears our prayers. But what has happened to us so often is that we just don't believe God really does care. Because he doesn't seem to answer my prayers the way I want him to. Why should I pray? Why should I pray? The necessity for prayer. Why should you pray? You say you're a Christian. You say you believe the gospel. You say you're, you, you're a, a, a desirous of walking with God. So why should you pray? Well, prayer is the means that God has ordained by which God accomplishes His purposes, which include you and others. It is the means that God has ordained by which God works out His purposes. It is God who has established prayer, and it is God who has ordained prayer. Isn't it, don't you find it interesting that, that people who are not Christians, when they get into all kinds of trouble, might actually give vent to some prayer? Why is that? Because there is this image of God that is within us. This knowledge of God that is fractured by sin but yet remains. That people recognize that there is a higher supreme being and therefore it comes out of them that they pray to Him. But they don't know Him. But not the believer, right? We know Christ. We know God. We have come to understand this gospel. And then we understand that it is God who has set prayer apart as a means for me to communicate with Him. Prayer is not an invention of man. And prayer is not a social construct to help humanity with all of their troubles and problems. That's not prayer. No, prayer comes from God Prayer is ordained of God and God has ordained prayer for His glory. 
for the exaltation of his name, his worth, his value, our Father who art somewhere in heaven. In heaven. And what kind of father are you? Hallowed. Holy is your name. We read that. God is holy. God is holy. Prayer is the means by which God is glorified. You know, you often hear the phrase, don't you? Prayer changes things. No. God changes things. It's not prayer that changes things. It's God who changes things. Did you know that all human destiny is determined by the will of God? By God only? It's never determined by the will of man. Think about regeneration or think about the new birth. Is the new birth by your power? Many people believe so. Is it by your choice? Many people believe so. Is it by your willing or your working, your exertion? Many people believe so. But the Bible is absolutely clear. It is not by your power, and it's not by your choice, and it's not by your will, and it's not by your effort or working. The Pharisee is working. He's laboring. I fast. I give. I tithe. I do all this. I'm not like that man. I'm different, God. I please you by what all I do, and God not by your power or your achievements or your accomplishment because we are destitute and bankrupt of righteousness it's only by God's willing and by God's working sovereignly upon your mind and upon your heart you know that if I could change someone's destiny then I would be supreme overall but I'm not I can't change anyone's destiny at all so if that's true, if, if I can affect nothing, it would seem, then why pray? Why pray if my prayers don't do anything? They have no power. Why pray then? Because you see, prayer is never about changing the purposes of God. Ever. It's all, or, nor is it getting God to change his mind. No, prayer is the means that God has appointed whereby He accomplishes His purpose for His glory. You cannot change God's mind. You cannot change God's will. You cannot frustrate God's will and God's purpose. You cannot do it. God works all things according to the counsel of His own will. Ephesians 1.11 doesn't work according to what I want, or what I will. In fact, Luther put it so beautifully, he said, that prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but it is a laying hold of His willingness. What does that boil down to? I believe God can do it. His willingness. I can't change God, overcome God's reluctance. So when I pray, my first ambition, my only ambition should be desire the glory of God because of who God is. This is God. So we pray in order to worship the Lord, right? That's why you've come this morning, to worship God. We pray as a means of spiritual blessing and spiritual growth. We pray to approach God with the right attitude in humility, to humble ourselves, to be like the tax collector. We pray believing in faith. We pray because God loves us to ask Him, to come to Him. Because it's our Heavenly Father that the Bible says loves to give good gifts to those who ask Him.
And by the way, since God has decreed all things, I must pray. I must pray. The praying Christian prays. You remember how Elijah said to Ahab, it's not going to rain, except in my word, for three and a half years. It didn't rain. Elijah knew that it wasn't going to rain. Because that's what God had told him. Not only that, but when he goes to see whether it's going to rain, because God told him rain is coming, he prays fervently, even though he knows rain is coming. But he nevertheless prays fervently to God that God would accomplish his purpose. Send the rain. Because only God sends the rain. What about Daniel? There he is reading Jeremiah 25. Jeremiah 29. The end of the 70 year captivity is coming in Daniel chapter 9. And he realizes, I've been here nearly 70 years. That must mean the exile is nearly over. What is the thing he does in Daniel 9? He prays and he confesses his sins that the reason God we are in exile is because we rebelled against you and sinned against you. He knows it's coming to an end, yet he still prays that God would take his people home. He prays for God to accomplish his purpose. You see, prayer is not about altering the mind of God or the will of God, but it is about the accomplishing of the will of God. Isn't that what the Lord's Prayer says? Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. So prayer is in one sense subjecting my will to the will of God. Isn't that Jesus in Gethsemane? If this cup can pass from me, let it pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Wasn't the Father's will for it to pass? He must drink it, and he was willing to do that. Prayer is about trusting God to do his will. So I discovered then that I have to have the right attitude when I think about praying. No wonder the disciples recognized after a while when they saw John the Baptist's disciples praying, Lord, teach us to pray. You ever prayed that? Teach me to pray. Because isn't that what you're doing when you ask him that? You're praying, but you still say, teach me to pray. So there is a necessity laid upon us that we must pray. Because we pray to God who can do all these things. Thirdly, what about the nurturing of prayer? Is it so important in my life that I do everything I can to improve it, to increase it? Jesus says, look at verse 1, men ought always to pray. Notice what he says, men ought always to pray and not lose heart. You see that word always? That he says there in verse 1. What does Jesus mean by that? Sometimes. When you feel like it. When you're inclined. Is that what Jesus means? No. Always. Means always. Mean Lord. Always to pray. And notice what he says. And not lose heart. How do you lose heart? Perhaps you fail to pray. Because you need to pray always. And if you fail to pray always, you start to question God. You start to lose 
heart. How should I pray if I should pray always? How should I pray? I should be like the tax collector. I should throw myself in dependence upon God. I should be dependent when I come to pray. But I should be confident because I'm praying to the only one who can bring about what I'm asking. Nobody else can. Only God. That's why I'm praying. So I should pray with confidence. I should pray in dependence. I should pray with confidence. And surely like the tax collector, I should pray with the right attitude. I should be humble. I should pray regularly, right? I mean, isn't that an important issue for you in your life? To pray unceasingly is always to pray. The Bible tells us Daniel prayed three times every day. Specific, regular, constant. Three times every day. Specific set times. Now I know you can lift up your request to God at any time. At any time. Might be midnight. You're on your bed. You can pray to God. It might be in a work meeting. You're, you're struggling with something or some concept that's been... You can pray. Wherever you are, you can pray to God. You can lift up your requests. Surely we should cultivate that kind of attitude and that frame of mind. Or what about praying specifically for something? We can pray in general terms. But what about just one specific thing? Do you know how you do that? Have you ever read your Bible? Well, I'm sure you have. And as you read the Word, you come across a verse that strikes you. And you ask God, make that possible in my life. I mean, think about what, what Paul says to the Philippian church, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say what? Rejoice now what would that verse cause you to do when you read it? Just gloss over it? But look what he's saying. He says, first your life is to be filled with joy. You will always be rejoicing. And you will always be rejoicing in the Lord. And just so you get it, I tell you it again. I repeat it. Because it's important. So when you read the Bible, when you have your devotions, you come across a verse, stop and think about the verse because it's God speaking to you. And then tell God what you want for your life based on what you read. You have thousands of verses. Thousands. You'll never get through them all in your lifetime. Think of them to pray over that it be part of your life. When we have babies, little children, we nurture them. What does that mean? means we, we take care of them. We, we do everything in our strength and our power to help them, to improve them. That's what you should do with your prayer life. Everything that you can to improve it, to increase it, nurture it, because you're concerned about it. So nurturing prayer is about my approaching God with the right aptitude, and the right attitude, coming to God, believing. I prepare my mind. I prepare my heart. I yield myself to God. And doesn't Jesus say, look, when you pray, 
go into the closet. Find the secret place. You and God alone. And there in the closet, pray. Because your Father, who sees in secret, will hear your prayer. You do that? You shut the door. You shut everything out. You shut your husband out. You shut your wife out. You shut the world out. You shut everything out. Just you and God. See, Jesus says, go in the closet and tell God. Talk to Him. He sees. He hears. He answers. Calvin said that prayer is nothing more than just simply opening your heart to God. That's what it is. Opening your heart to God. So to nurture prayer is about finding the time, finding the place, and having the right attitude to nurture prayer. Well, finally, the neglect of prayer. Have you ever neglected prayer? Did you forget to pray before you came here this morning? Did you pray yesterday when you went to bed? You see how easy it is to neglect prayer? We all know that. It's always easy to neglect something that is hard. That's the easiest thing to neglect. It's just too difficult. I cannot keep it up. I cannot maintain it. Stop. We do it all the time. So you can neglect praying because you're a lazy person. Because you're slothful. Because you're indolent. Because you're lukewarm. Right? Just don't feel like it today. You can neglect prayer because your heart is hard. And you don't believe God will hear you. You can neglect prayer because you have sin in your life. And you haven't dealt with it. It's unconfessed. You can neglect praying because you have no time. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. And so you neglect prayer because you're tired. Or you neglect prayer because there's too much recreation in your life. Or too much work. And you're too busy. You can neglect prayer because you doubt God. You can neglect prayer because you're discouraged. God doesn't seem to be answering my prayers. So when we discover these kinds of things to neglect prayer, it is to despise God. It is to despise Jesus. To neglect prayer is to be an ungrateful Christian. An unthankful Christian. Because isn't that what we do when we pray? We thank God. So to neglect praying means I'm not thanking God as I ought to be. And I'm not believing God when I neglect prayer. That's a very dangerous life. That's a very careless life. You can see that we need to cultivate this prayer life in our own lives. To pray always, excuse me, as Jesus says, is simply to answer the neglect question. If you don't want to neglect praying, pray always. Always be praying. And to neglect prayer is to say, it's not going to happen. You lack expectancy. God can't do it. God won't do it for whatever reason. Isn't that why the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 and verse 26 that it is the Holy Spirit who helps us in our weaknesses. Because 
He is the one who knows what we need. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit intercedes with groaning too deep for words. Do you know that the Holy Spirit helps you to pray? Did you know that Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for you? We need divine help. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? Do you believe what Jesus said? He says it to disciples who are sorrowful. He's going away. They don't know what's coming. They have no idea. But he says it to encourage them. So I say to all of us this morning, look, let's try to be regular in prayer. Let's try to be consistent in prayer. Let's be continually coming to God in prayer with humility, with reverence for who God is. This is why the Puritans always said, you must pray until you pray. You keep on praying until you pray. And that tells us that it's a lesson and that it's something to learn. I must learn to pray. If I want to learn to pray, I must study how to pray. I've got an entire Bible to use to help me to be a praying Christian. If you want to develop a habit, how would you do it? Start the habit, right? And keep up. Don't stop. Begin the habit and never give up. Did you know that a good prayer life is evidence of a thankful Christian? Of a grateful Christian? That the evidence of a, of a pray, good prayer life is a joyful Christian? There's too much, there are too many miserable Christians. I've said it over and over again. I don't understand it. You have everything to give thanks for. Everything to praise God for. But instead, what are we like? Woe is me. Woe is me. Too much, too, too filled with my own needs, my own desires, and not God's will. You'll never be joyful if you're taken up with yourself, ever. You'll never be thankful if it's all about you. Too many Christians like that. It's time for us to change, to believe God. So let me say a few words finally about prayer. <clears throat> we, should be, we should pray to believe in our Lord Jesus Christ for saving faith. That's where we start, right? For not only saving faith, but obedient repentance. A genuine repentance. A confessing faith. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's where you start. So let's pray to believe in Jesus Christ. Surely we should pray, secondly, to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Savior or of God Himself. I need to pray for wisdom. I need to pray for understanding. I need to pray for help in spiritual matters. Number three, <clears throat> this is a big one. Never neglect to pray for each other. <coughs> I prayed for all of you. I see there are visitors here today. I'm sorry I didn't pray for you. I would have if I'd known you were coming. But for everybody else, I prayed for you. I know you. I prayed for you because I want God to bless us. And I want to know, do you pray for me? Because I need your prayers. You see, that's so big, isn't it? Pray for one another. In fact, James even says it. Pray for one another. I mean, think of Abraham. 
He prays for Abimelech because God's going to judge him because he's taken Sarah. Or think of Samuel. He refused to give up praying for the people. Think of Job, prayed for his three friends. Think of Jesus, who said we should love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Pray for them. And the Apostle Paul says, I always pray for you, giving thanks to God the Father for you. And he told the Thessalonians, pray for us. Pray for us. Finally, let's always strive to improve and let's always strive to increase our praying because every prayer, every prayer is simply telling God, talking to God, having communion with God, asking God to receive all the praise and all the glory in and through my life. Strive for that. Seek to improve it. Seek to increase it. Pray then to God, right? Pray because you must pray. Jesus says we ought always to pray. Pray with this reverence and humility like the tax collector. And don't give up praying. Don't neglect your prayer life. Do you want to be a praying Christian? Then that's what we have to think about. That's what we need to be. Let's pray together. Now, our Father, we thank you so much for your word and for what it has said to us this day. We need to pray as you expect us to pray. We have a lot to learn. We have a lot to practice. Help us to be like the disciples who asked the Lord Jesus to teach them to pray. And we do, Father, teach us to pray so that we might pray. Help us to be the kind of Christian that is concerned not just about themselves, but about others, and prays regularly for others. And that we pray that you would receive all the glory and all the praise, and that your will will always be done, which we know it will. But let us love to pray about that. So teach us to pray, gracious God. Be merciful to us. Forgive us our sins, our neglect. Forgive us our self-righteousness. Forgive us our sloth. And help us to commit ourselves to seeking you. You have given us your word. And we pray to you through your word that your will might be done. Let's use that. Help us to do that. So we commend ourselves to you now. Thank you for this day. Ask your blessing upon it. We pray that we might believe each one of us in Jesus Christ. That we might pray for mercy and for grace and for salvation. So we we praise you and we worship you and ask all of these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.